20 minutes after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the mighty Metro. It's our wrap of the top business stories. Joining me tonight to take a look at uh, these at the start of this uh, new week, I'm joined on the line by Kanya Nzuleleka, co-founder out at Satana Capital. Kanya, good evening to you. Welcome. Evening, Aya, and evening to your listeners as well. I hope you're well. I'm very well, thank you. How about you? Good, 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 good. Kanya, let's start out in the mining sector. Anglo-American Platinum, despite lower production. Uh, I've got a few things to smile about here. Lower fatalities uh, than usually the case. And uh, strong, strong, strong trading profit margins coming out of some of their operations, even when you compare them to some of the other I guess, uh, a folk who might be mining the same commodity in that part of the world. Uh, what do you make of this? And in particular, how strong, despite low grades, that Mukhala Kwena operation has done? Yeah, so um, you know, I know Platinum coming out of the results. Um, like you've already mentioned, you know, those EBITDA margins are quite strong. Um, currently sitting at 57%. Um, and your adjusted EBITDA as a total revenue number coming in at 74 billion rands. Um, so it's always very interesting when you're going through mining results um, and you compare it to, to other sectors, everything, you know, is, is quite um, exaggerated and quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, done very well despite those lower grades at Mokhalagwana um, and Amandabult. Um, but um, revenue compared to the previous year has actually come down um, 24% to 164 billion rands. So the market's not that happy um, with the performance, and that's reflected in the share price being marginally down. Mm. Um, but I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, considering, you know, all the other, you know, issues that they've had with load shedding, um, you know, transnet and the like, the, you know, uh, Natasha and her team have definitely done well. Talking about Natasha, she's seemingly on her way out. Yeah, um, moving on to, to Greener Pastures, um, joining Newmont. Um, one of the biggest gold producers that we have in the world. So, yeah, I think that, you know, that is definitely a great achievement for her to, to actually be able to be given that opportunity um, in America. And we wish her all the best. Um, mm. We'll look to see what the succession plan is in terms of, uh, you know, the executive seat. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I know the group as a whole, you know, I don't think they ever, like, you know, are in shortage of getting the right people into such key positions. Mm. Now, now, I guess, the, you know, the other dimension to this uh, print that came out from, from Anglo, um, they join a legion of other companies who are complaining about a few things on the operational expenditure side of things. Um, and let's maybe just talk about these. They say, well, they've done well on cost management, containing some of their cost of goods sold, you know, price path at around 11% or so. But there are other headwinds okay. on the cost side of things that are affecting this operation. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, like we've already mentioned, those lower grades, that is something that has definitely come out quite heavily within the presentation that they gave. So despite all the opportunities, when you look at, you know, the PGM, you know, um, group of metals, the opportunities are huge when you consider how they feature in the climate change story. However, it is actually an issue, you know, when you consider those lower-grade reserves here in South Africa. And it basically just means that, you know, there has to be a bit more technological innovation from a geological perspective and the like. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, those headwinds definitely will include your load shedding, even though they are working quite hard to bring on renewable energy to, to deal with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are things that I, I do think that, you know, they will be struggling with for, for the foreseeable future. Mm. And then we shift our attention, I guess, briefly uh, towards the packaging sector. Impact, uh, giving out some guidance, uh, put out a trading update earlier on today. And uh, yeah, a trading statement, I should rather say. Uh, and uh, seeing their revenue increasing by 7% from around 11.5 billion rand uh, to uh, 12.4 billion rand for the year ending 31 December. And uh, also, I guess, uh, good demand for container board, as I said uh, during the introduction. A lot of that driven by a massive demand for fruit exports. Yeah, so, I mean, impact they've done exceptionally well. Um, like you already mentioned, the revenue is very, very strong. Um, but what's been very, well, for me, as I went through the results, what is very impressive is the EBITDA um, coming in at about 23%. Um, and you can consider that a lot of the companies that have put out results have really been complaining about load shedding and the like, and, you know, supply chain um, restrictions and limitations and the like. They've really done well. Um, and a lot of that's being driven by, you know, the fruit sector, but also being driven by your restaurant, your restaurant sector. So I think that, you know, that reopening post-COVID story really, you know, revealing itself in this, in that, you know, people are, you know, are going out. And so there's a lot of demand in that particular, you know, um, sector for them. And then uh, I guess the other element is um, what you make of some of their discontinued operations. Uh, they did indicate, of course, in uh, earlier guidance they gave to the market a few uh, months ago that uh, they will be disposing of their VersaPak operations. And uh, yeah, this uh, entity, which will be uh, reported from here onwards as a discontinued operation, uh, reported revenue of just over a billion rand, uh, up from 920 million in the previous year. Uh, which included net earnings of around 65 million rand or so. And uh, yeah, what do you make, I guess, of that rejigging, both the disposal, but also, I guess, the acquisition of the paper mill out in Mkondo? So yeah, I mean, I think that what's interesting is that Versapak did actually do very well. Um, So those net earnings coming in at 65 million compared to 2 million uh, for the year ended December 2021. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, the team is trying very hard to, you know, just focus on, you know, what is important. And like you've already mentioned, they're making quite um, a, a significant um, investment into the Makanda Petal Mill. And that really is just from their perspective, the fact that they are expecting a lot of demand when it comes to fresh packaging for the SA fruit exports. So if you go through these impact results, it's positive for the business itself, but it also tells a positive story for the country as well um, when it comes to, you know, their main drivers of demand for, you know, their paper packaging and um, plastics as well. And I guess when, when you look at this sector, often a sector that whose prospects are linked to other or to the performance of other underlying sectors, uh, in particular the consumer-facing, fast-moving consumer goods types of sectors. When you look at how that is doing, I mean, we saw retail numbers coming out, I think, in the last uh, while, uh, which signaled that, you know, December wasn't as much of a bumper, you know, retail season as one might expect. And if interest rates, you know, move in the northern type of direction, that might strain disposable incomes and have an impact on fast-moving consumer goods. But we also know that those are the goods that tend to be defensive, whether incomes are constrained or not. These are necessities that people have to buy. 
What do you make of, mm. I guess, the prospects for impact going forward? I think that, uh, you know, like you've already mentioned, we've spoken about, you know, the SA food exports, um, you know, from the perspective of the recycling business as well. Their prospects are looking good there. And when it comes to your SMCG products, they basically, you know, like you said, they do have quite a defensible, you know, market position there. And what's quite interesting is that from a South African perspective, um, going out is actually quite a big thing, you know, within the culture. So we do expect, well, personally, I don't necessarily think that they will be losing much share from that particular sector um, going forward. Um, and we'll look to see, you know, we, we have the, the budget speech coming out sometime this week. That will also be an indicator of what will happen to the consumer's pockets moving forward. Um, but yeah, so far, hasn't been that great for the consumer, but the business obviously um, has a very good management team. They've done very well in terms of actually defending themselves against load shedding in terms of their investments in solar generation and the like. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll look to see. I don't think it's going to be easy sailing, uh, but I do think that they are in a position whereby they can continue to defend their market position. Yeah, and then, I mean, just on this one, I guess the, the other element that one is interested in is um, that capital investment plan. It seems these guys, you know, haven't been afraid to put down uh, some capital here. I mean, just in that one year alone, one billion rand uh, in uh, capital and uh, increasing their working capital as well, which has been subsequently associated with an increase in their net debt and uh, even, I guess, a 40 million strong net uh, increase in their finance or debt service costs. Uh, it, it's clear their outlook on um, the landscape is, is much more positive than maybe others in the industry often allow for. Yeah, extremely. Um, so those investments are coming in quite, you know, heavy. Like I've already mentioned, they continue to, to make quite a sizable investment when it comes to, you know, their own solar generation. Um, they have also invested in a recycling and export handling facility. Uh, I just forget now where exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the management team is quite bullish. Um, but they are, you know, smartly bullish. They're not just, you know, putting money, you know, uh, willy-nilly. These look to be strategic moves that have been well-planned. Um, these are strategic moves that are, you know, focused on particular niche markets. And, yeah, we'll look to see how it will actually um, pan out for them in the future. Mm. And then we shift our attention to Nigeria, the continent's most populous nation, and uh, I guess by output the, the largest uh, economy on the continent. Um, they are in election season. Uh, we also saw former President Tabombeki heading out there as part of the AU Observer mission. Uh, it's an election that comes, as is often the case with elections in many parts of our continent, at a very difficult time. And probably this time around, I think, unprecedented difficulty. You know, debt service costs for Nigeria over 100% of GDP. They are only now rebounding to oil production levels which were suffering due to the theft uh, of uh, oil uh, via the pipelines and so on um, and similarly I guess um, massive you know uh, I guess reluctance on the part of uh, creditors in the bond markets to uh, take a bullish view uh, on sovereign debt issued by Nigeria it's a lot and then of course on the other hand expectations by the market that there will be certain kinds of reforms there will be you know, fiscal consolidation, a.k.a. austerity, uh, and there's that expectation. Mm. But similarly, there's an expectation that certain policy instruments like fuel subsidies, uh, and this is often the case, you know, West Africa, even in Latin America, where these are a contentious 
matter, especially for uh, many uh, countries who produce hydrocarbons and, uh, you know, uh, fuel and so on. What do you make of the economic context that uh, will meet these uh, elections coming up in uh, the next while? And uh, I guess uh, the implications for whoever might be the new president following from Muhammadu Buhari. Mm. Yeah, so um, I do think that, you know, at this at this present moment, um, it's not a pretty picture for the country of Nigeria. Um, you know, it's that it has come out in the news way before, you know, these elections, you know, have been drawing near. The people are really struggling, you know, with the cost of living. Um, there's confusion when it comes to the multiple currency regime, um, which is obviously scaring off investors. Um, you know, import restrictions, which, you know, inevitably will lead to the cost of certain goods being quite high. Um, and those fuel subsidies, which, you know, have had a really bad impact on what is essentially Nigeria's lifeblood, you know, the oil industry. Um, you know, the oil industry in Nigeria really performing badly under President Buhari. So I think that at this point in time, um, you know, whoever actually ends up being elected on the train, you know, come post the vote on the twenty first, they'll really have to, to come in with a lot of positivity and hope to get the country going, but also think quite strategically about how do you actually deal with the big issues? Um, how do you actually get rid of things like, you know, the fuel subsidies? There's a lot of issues when it comes to the social as well as the institutional, you know, restrictions and limitations that an incoming president can have when faced with such things. Um, and that debt is absolutely, um, you know, high, over $167 billion of debt. And it's, it's tragic for the country because... You can't really point to anything to say that, okay, we've taken on this debt, therefore we've been able to, you know, boost, you know, our capital stock in this area, we've been able to increase this area. If anything, um, what we've seen over the years is that, you know, the country has really devolved into a lot of violence, um, abductions, um, you know, mass kidnappings and the like. So I, I think that, you know, they, they, whoever comes in has their work cut out for them. We wish, we wish them all the best, but it's not a pretty picture. And like you said, the bond markets are reflecting the fact that traders don't have much faith regardless mm. of who comes in. Um, and what's interesting is that, um, you know, the one candidate who is preferred by traders and investors and, you know, the, the, the market, Peter Obi, he is actually being shown to be leading the polls. But even that isn't actually bleeding into some form of like a positive expectation. Moody's, they actually downgraded the, the, the country about a month ago. Um, they haven't even waited to see what's going to happen mm. because in their view, um, you know, the election is basically of no consequence. And that's a very scary position to be in for the country. Mm. You know, Kanya, as I was um, sort of reading through the story and having you know followed Nigerian political economy for a while now, one of the things I find so interesting about how in South Africa we analyze uh, what is happening in Nigeria, especially on the exchange rate side of things. So Nigeria at the mm-hmm. moment is, is operating a dual exchange rate system, um, largely trying to defend against the, uh, you know, against the runaway decline of the value of the Naira. Um, and effectively, this has also, as is often the case, creates a black market. So it creates a parallel market for U.S. dollars or to exchange Naira into U.S. dollars because there are two systems, both for importers and exporters, and then, of course, for members of the public uh, who are wanting to uh, make use of foreign exchange. And people make it seem like this is 
you know, oh, it's catastrophic. It's never been done in the world. And therefore, it's a signal of horrible confidence. And yet, we know. I mean, we've seen this all over the world. It you know, happened mm-hmm. in Germany around Hitler's time. It was done in South Africa, actually, interestingly, a few times. Um, after Sha- the Shavuul massacre, after 1976, after 1985. Uh, we only stopped in the 90s, actually, having a parallel structure, which was called the financial rand. So, so in a sense... Uh, while it is desirable, of course, to have a common exchange rate, it, you know, that's a signal. I mean, in South Africa, that had to be done in a moment where people were running away from South African sovereign debt markets, you know, like the plague. Whereas at the moment, it seems something similar is happening in Nigeria. And, uh, you know, whenever that happens, never, never looks good. No, it never looks good. And I think it's, you already touched on why it potentially doesn't look good. People do fear what they do not understand. Mm. So already people do struggle to understand just, you know, a single currency. And now you're going to, you know, effectively say that, oh, okay, now we're going to bring in um, a dual currency system and then people will freak out. What's interesting is, to your point, the people who are in the know-how and understand that these aren't necessarily bad signals, they will never come out and actually, you know, really explain and calm the market down. Um, so on a separate note, it's, it's always interesting to, to, to consider the different intentions and motivations of various players. But I, I think that, you know, when it comes to the dual currency, it, 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 it didn't help that there are these other issues going on. Um, governance issues, um, you know, a lot of insecurity, um, you know, surrounding the country as a whole. Um, so, yeah, like, like you said, I, I don't necessarily think that in and of itself it's a bad thing. However, it's a hard thing to understand. And mm. Therefore, you know, because it's hard, people are just going to say, oh, it's bad. Um, you know, there are a number of things that we can point to when it comes to South Africa that are very contentious mm. that as soon as you say it, and I'll say it, you know, land expropriation. As soon yeah. as you say it, you know, people are not going to even try to understand how is it going to be done, how can it potentially be done. It has already been done in countries that are currently successful now. But as soon as you say it, people just freak out. So that's what's happening there. But from my perspective, I do think that there are other underlying issues. Um, you know, the, the way in which the government has taken on debt um, has absolutely been crazy um, and, mm. and really accelerated towards the end of President Buhari's, um, uh, I don't want to say reign, his term. Yes, that's the right word. And, and I guess, you know, I mean, uh, Kanya, to your point, uh, you know, the markets are driven by like subjective sentiment so much rather than like mm. even if the underlying fundamentals of the Nigerian economy were good. The moment you start to do, you know, sophisticated kind of, uh, you know, monetary arrangements and managing your exchange rate, managing your reserves, tinkering with the balance sheet of your central bank in, in ways that, you know, aren't even communicated with a clear, common and coherent message, then you're going to get even the people who never liked your program anyway starting to have the jitters. And I think uh, it's one of these lessons that uh, we uh, on the continent sometimes have to learn in very difficult ways that, uh, you know, the people who hold power over our economies in some cases by virtue of them being representatives of the owners of capital, uh, once they don't understand it, uh, it can have, you know, even the most devastating of implications. And for many politicians, it might even mean the end of your career. Incredibly so. Uh, incredibly and then the last one, Kanya Competition Commission gets another extension for another two months in the online intermediation 
platform study, which is looking into the likes of Google in the world of search and take a lot and e-commerce and other platforms. I also saw they're looking at uh, platforms like Booking.com, Airbnb as well. Mm. Um, and some of the recommendations, I must say, hit at the heart of the business models of these entities. You know, this idea of signaling which search results are paid for. And similarly, mm-hmm. uh, this idea then, of course, of separating retail and platform activities for the likes of Take-A-Lot, who might also sell you on the Take-A-Lot platform things that they own, like Superbalist, or maybe a brother or sister entity like Superbalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, very interesting work by the Competition Commission, which I think that over the years, um, has been one of you know our, our state entities that have done really good work protecting the consumer, protecting um, you know competition, just to improve the lives of South Africans. So yeah, so some of the things that they've come up with, like you said, is they want for Google to clearly indicate um, if a search result has been paid for. Um, and I think that honestly, you know, those are things that are very necessary. Um, already, you do have like a little indication there that you know this is an ad. But I think that in order for us to be able to to stimulate competition, particularly in a country such as South Africa, because context is always very important. Mm. And in a country such as South Africa, we, we we cannot have a situation whereby we're not competing on product quality and price, um, but we're also just competing on the fact that I can pay to have my name, you know, put out there in a much more favorable light. So, you know, some of these um, some of these recommendations, um, some people seeing them as quite strict, the free markets foundation coming out saying that, you know, these businesses are effectively being punished, mm. um, you know, for, for, for doing their business well. Um, and yeah, I mean, definitely we can agree that they run their business well, but we can't run away from where we are as a country. Um, and we need to ensure that we provide equal opportunity for your small businesses to compete well, um, you know, for your, your previously disadvantaged people to mm. compete well and to get their products out there in an easier, in a much easier way. We'll have to leave it here for tonight. Always a pleasure, Kanya, catching up with you. And uh, thank you very much uh, for taking time out to speak to us. Cheers. That there was Kanyan Zuruleka, co-founder out at Satana Capital, joining us for our wrap of the top business stories.